For months, Caroline planned her escape. Every week, she would sneak to the creek and then further to the ridge, and then once she found a trail up the steep walls, up to a point where she could see all of the canyon. Hidden in the juniper trees that climbed the hills, Caroline estimated that the canyon was at least 20 miles long and a quarter of that wide, and that her village was just one of a dozen pairs of villages tucked together among the rocks and fingers of the creek. Each pair of villages differed only in size. One side of the pair was the same layout in which she lived, larger, multi-tent homes in the middle with streets extending from there through smaller, then smaller, then single-tent homes. In those streets, she saw women and children and older men playing, working, and lazing around. From each of those well-ordered clusters led a trail, a single wide footpath to the second half of the pair. It with a layout of an inner circle and outer, much wider circle. The inner circle was made of larger multi-tent structures which she knew belonged to the more powerful and the outer circle was made of single tents run right up against each other to form a corral. With the hawks above, the villages below, and the juniper all around her, Caroline clung to the steep side of the canyon and learned the hierarchy of this world more adeptly than she could when she was in the midst of it. Every morning, a line of young boys would leave her village and follow the footpath across the creek to the corralled tents. They would wait outside the corral until they were allowed in, and then training would start. While the children played and the women worked in her village, the boys were trained by warriors, none of whom Caroline had not seen up close other than the two who had brought her there. They were trained to be strong and to fight and to overcome each other in readiness to do so to their enemies outside of the canyon. The outer corral was for training to fight from a horse, and when it was time, the warriors brought in a hundred horses which would be agitated at first, and then settle into their maternal order. They would give the boys tasks, or let them amble, and then without warning would shriek a war cry, and the boys would need to mount a horse before all were taken. Some boys refused to allow too great a distance between them and the horse they wanted, and within a few steps were on its back. Some boys were easily distracted, and upon the war cry had to run and corner a horse with their hands in the air yelling, climbing on its back as it tried to make its escape. Other boys were predictably lazy and never ready for the war cry they should have known was coming. Those boys didn't get a mount, and were beaten by the warriors and then forced to run on foot among the maelstrom. Whichever way your horse ran determined your tribe, and if your brother had chosen the other direction, he was your enemy, and would need to be knocked to the ground. Round and round the horses went, opposing each other's speed, with the riders grabbing and swinging at each other, and sometimes slamming their beast into another's side. The inner corral was for archery and combat at close quarters. The boys would practice both in separate groups and then swap so that their pumping hearts and bruised hands were trained to transition from pounding on each other to calmly and accurately losing arrows into the center of a target. Caroline, the girl, driven further than she could ever have imagined, watched and wondered whether she could do the same or even better.
After two months of practicing her escape during the day, Caroline was ready because she was still not allowed shoes of her own. She planned to cut her buckskin pants and sew them with rawhide to create wraparound moccasins. For her foot, she would take dried venison from where it was stored in the eldest wife's tent. She reasoned that the venison would last her two weeks, and in that time she would untie her moccasins and set snares while she slept at night. She would drink as much water as her stomach could hold and siphon the blood of any rabbits or small game that fell to her snare. She did not like that part of the plan, but could do no better. In her camp, there were no bladders for storing water on a long ride, only vessels to go from the creek to the cook fire. She would follow her regular path by the creek and then scramble up among the juniper from where she could see the warrior camp and then up and over the lip of the canyon. She had learned the schedule on which the warrior's horses were taken to graze on the plains above, and she reasoned she could steal one before the boys shepherding them could do anything to stop her. Although it was not perfect, Caroline believed her plan to be well thought out. She had no notion that her adopted father knew what she was up to, had followed her at a distance most days, and could sense from her temperament that morning that it was the day. She made it to the trees, and then further than ever before, and saw that what she had assumed was the edge of the canyon was a false edge. Between it and the actual lip of the canyon was a landslide of scree fallen from above. Undeterred, she stepped lightly as the piled rocks shifted beneath her feet. She was halfway across the scree when she came to a rock ledge which she was forced to climb. The sun had baked it throughout the morning, so the rock was warm under her palms. For that same reason, the rattlesnakes built their nests among the ledges which protected them from the birds above and kept their eggs warm at night. Caroline eyed the next ledge over, onto which she would shove her hand and pull herself up. When she did, she felt the body of the mother lying in the sun not far from her eggs. It was smooth and muscular and before she could let go or pull it and fall to the ground below, the snake whipped its diamond-shaped head and sank two venom-soaked fangs into Caroline's hand.